Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friends Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Mr. Chris Hutting. Let's get into the news of today, and I think the first thing we're going to talk about today is an opinion piece written by Adrian Basson, uh, examining future scenarios for how South Africa might be governed after the 2024 election. And he's proposing uh, an idea that hasn't gotten nearly as much limelight as, as, as a bunch of the other ideas. So we've had all sorts of ideas for how the country might be governed if the ANC drops below 50%, which seems quite possible based off of a lot of recent polling. Uh, the ANC might try to cobble together the small parties like the Patriotic Alliance, the African Independence Congress, the Good Party, all those sort of small parties, and together with them form a governing coalition but this, you know, maybe they'll try and get the IFP on board, but there are reasons to think that might not work. Uh, that might not be enough, um, depending on what their percentage of the vote is. If they get at the lower end of the polling, that it won't be good enough. So the other alternative is to go into coalition with the EFF, uh, which will give them a healthy majority. But the problem with that is that the ANC has got a very uneasy relationship with the EFF in many municipalities uh, around the country, places like Ekrelenin and Johannesburg, where the ANC EFF are not really getting on that well. And apparently the faction that supports Cyril Ramaphosa against Paul Mashatile is very anti this idea. Well, the last idea is that they do some sort of deal with the DA, but the DA has said that it doesn't want to go into coalition with the ANC. Um, and in fact, many DA voters will see that as a betrayal of the party, uh, of, of, its, of its mission to unseat the ANC, which has been working towards for 30 years. Uh, at the same time, the ANC has such strong ideological differences with the DA, they really will probably not be able to compromise on a lot of governance. However, uh, Basson talks about an alternative, which is that essentially the DA takes over parliament and gets the speakership position, um, as well as probably chairmanship of most of the committees in government, uh, in parliament, and the ANC maintains running the government. But this means essentially that the DA would be able to hold the executive to account in a very serious way. It would be quite a fascinating division of things because it means that we'd actually see true separation of powers between the executive and the legislature uh, because you can do a lot of uh, oversight and holding to account and you can also block negative legislation or, or toxic legislation um, through, through parliament. So uh, now, I am skeptical as to whether the DA and ANC have actually seriously considered this, despite the, the, the reporting that Basson is using here from one of his colleagues. Um, but be that as it may, as an idea, Chris, what do you make of this? Would this actually be a workable solution? Could these parties work together in this fact? I mean, this would be a very antagonistic coalition, if you're going to even call it a coalition. Yeah, taken in isolation, one could make the theoretical argument, but I worry so much about that that isolation point because of what the what the other in the connections are, the intricacies at play, what other concessions you could get or not, um, you know, impact on public the public sector, public service, cater deployment, preferential procurement, to to get the functions of state functioning, as it were. The impl wide implications, I don't know if that the ANC would be willing to depart from what I would hope that a party like the DA would demand in that kind of arrangement. So perhaps if you want to make a very strong pragmatic argument, then you say this is how you get your toe in the door. 
then you work your foot in, then your leg in, you know, you put your, your right leg in, you don't take it out, then you keep going. You put your, your quad in, then your hips, and then your shoulders, and then the whole body's in. And then from there, you start to really influence things. So I can, I can, I can get myself into a headspace where I can see some of the argument, but I worry too much about some of the other implications for the DA's messaging, branding, the sort of message that this sends to your, your voting base and also to opposition voters. Um, when you've tried to, for so long, couch your solutions as different to what is being offered by the ANC, are you willing to then still engage on their turf, on their terms? What does that then say about your value offering? Right. I mean, you know, there's a possibility that uh, the ANC could just sort of functionally push through whatever legislation it wanted by cobbling together alliances with like the EFF on a temporary basis. Um, and then you've got a, you know, a DA speaker in parliament essentially mostly being ignored. I mean, you could, you know, you can do whatever oversight you like. You can call the minister to account as much as you want. But if you don't have the votes in parliament, at the end of the day, the, the, the ANC might be able to just sort of brute force its way through any uh, conflicts, um, which really wouldn't do much, I think, for the DA, but would help the, the ANC to be sort of propped up without having to make too many concessions um, in their control of patronage. So an interesting idea, um, but the devil would definitely be in the details in that one. And I think it has potential to be, particularly for the DA, an incredibly negative drawback, um, uh, depending on how things shake out. Okay. Let us move on to our next story, and this is coming from Electricity Minister Ramakhopa, who is pretty pleased about the drop of dem in demand uh, that we're seeing from uh, South African consumers. Uh, he, he, he attributes at least part of this drop in demand, not just from our sluggish economic performance, but also to the widespread adoption of rooftop solar, um, particularly amongst sort of wealthy and middle class houses and some businesses. Uh, he says, generation from rooftop solar is a significant feature of how we will see the energy landscape in the country. People say demand is going down because of rooftop solar. Yes, that is what we want. That is what we are encouraging. So already government offers, I believe, a tax break uh, for, for, for installing solar panels. But uh, Ramakopa says that it is his intention to extend this tax break to include also the inverter and battery systems, which are attached to a solar system. Now, uh, that's quite important because those systems are very expensive. In fact, they're often the most expensive part and they also need to be usually replaced the most often, um, you know, if something goes wrong. So uh, he, he says that uh, this is this is a, a plan and that uh, government will be looking into this. However, this won't extend to inverters that are not attached to solar panels um, because there's actually been a study from the University of Stellenbosch which says that those stress the grid more because when load shedding ends, they actually spike energy demand to try and uh, recharge their batteries. So the idea here is only to have inverters which are connected to a power generation source receiving tax benefits. Chris, uh, this seems to me like a step in the right direction, a small, small step, but definitely a step in the right direction. What do you make of this? Absolutely, and I think here we see the the sort of harshness of reality, uh, or at least that the ANC's ideology and policies coming up against the harshness of, of reality, where they would prefer a state-owned monopoly, controlling distribution, generation, everything of electricity, but because of their own shortcomings, their inability to keep ESCOM functioning well, South Africans are making a plan within reason, of course, and within resources. So it is, it is good to hear this kind of rhetoric. Um, we'll see 
how exactly it is followed through upon, if it is sort of timelines, all this kind of thing. Is this just going to remain rhetoric before the elections, for example, to boost some support or not? Will the, these changes be made before then? Because then it shows you if it's made before the elections, it indicates then there's a willingness to cede some measure of control, even how ever small it might be. But it's through these small chinks that you see the private sector, civil society, all these different avenues starting to fill some of the voids being left by the state. And it does slowly but surely chip away at that centralized control and that over that overall control of the economy and society. So let's see, maybe we'll get contradictory statements from other ministers or other departments, as tends to be the case, especially in electricity in South Africa. Um, but as you say, and we should highlight it, sort of reinforce the potential that this kind of thing represents and push through whatever momentum there is now. No, I definitely agree with that. And, and that really is the, the, the sticking point here is that I'm sure uh, that the energy ministry, you know, for example, under Kweda Matashe is, is going to uh, perhaps have a different view of things. I think Treasury might also grumble considering that they're looking to save every single rand at the moment. Uh, so we'll have to see whether this actually becomes reality. Um, all right. Last story for today. Uh, one of the MMCs in Ekuruleni, uh, so that's a member of the mayoral committee. Um, who is the EFF provincial chairperson, was in a terrible four-vehicle accident last night, and apparently a motorcyclist that was involved in that accident as well was killed. Um, he is in hospital, uh, this, uh, uh, this MMC, um, and he was traveling at the time in a blue light convoy. Now, we've also seen, I think it was a mayor of Joburg, he was not mayor for very long because he passed away in a, in a terrible car crash on Joburg's roads, uh, also in a blue light convoy. And while we don't know the details of exactly what happened here yet, Chris, I will say that anyone who has seen a blue light convoy driving around the streets of uh, South Africa's cities will know that they often uh, uh, you know, don't follow the rules of the road, they drive very fast, they break the speed limits, and it really doesn't seem like it's a positive thing to have on our roads at the very, you know, never mind all the other potential pitfalls and, the, and, you know, not having government being able to break the rules when they want, but it's also just, you know, uh, possibly contributing to the deaths of political leaders. I don't know, what do you make of all this? Yeah. in the sense of maybe invulnerability or impunity that being in a blue light brigade creates and that you can just drive at what say 160, 180 and, there's nothing really to concern yourself out about about what happens around you, that there are there road users, um, that there are road closures, that some intersections are busier than others, what impact your behavior might have on others, but also then on your own safety and, and in the context of reckless driving potentially. So it, it creates maybe a false sense of security and you can just act as you desire. Um, so it, the, it feeds that sort of incentive or that thinking um, because you aren't then held to account regardless of how your personnel, you as, as a political person, your your personnel, how they behave and all that kind of thing, you aren't held to account. Um, so it incentivizes, I think, reckless behavior. It doesn't always manifest in that, but in some cases like it did um, yesterday, unfortunately, with one person losing uh, losing his life. And one is too many in any case um, for the sort of thing to happen. And likely his name will be forgotten. Um, we'll only focus on who the particular MMC is, uh, blue, are blue light brigades going to stay or not? And then people's lives, sort of normal citizens, are left by the way. So. Uh, and just to emphasize this point before we close, a pedestrian was killed in 2009 
um, when Jacob Zuma's blue light convoy uh, uh, crashed into him. Um, a man on a motorbike was killed by an MMC's uh, blue light convoy in 2011. Uh, there have been numerous reports of uh, members of blue light convoys threatening people or firing guns at people. There was, of course, two months ago in, in, in July, the uh, the assault of those men by VIP protection officers in a blue light convoy belonging to the deputy president, Paul Machatile. A young man in 2015 was killed in a crash involving state security minister David Mflobo's blue light convoy in Wittbank. Um, there was another one in the Free State in 2018. So this is not exactly a rare occurrence. And I think it is high time that we really seriously consider uh, stopping these things because they are, they, are, they are just a detriment to our society. Anyway, that's all the time we have for today. We hope that you found the show interesting. And we will be back tomorrow with the Daily Friend Wrap. And what I can say is, that's a wrap.